I'm Christian Blood, KTSA News, and here we go with Mm. the Jack Riccardi Show. So I want to say in advance, I stole this off the internet. Okay. But if you find it funny, then I'll take the credit. Uh, HBO Max has changed its name to Max, so I wonder what Peacock is going to do. (laughs) Good night, everybody. See you tomorrow. I feel bad it took me a second. I'm like, come on, get the joke. Oh, I get it. I was, yeah, you know, I, I've i got till 7, you know. I'm not in a hurry. Oh, that's a good thing, too. I thought it was pretty cute, actually. I it's wish I'd thought of that. All oh. right. Well, can I? <laughs> Don't answer. Good after. It was a rhetorical question. Good afternoon. Welcome to our dreadful little show. A lot of attention being paid today to something the the... Mayor of New York City said about illegal immigrants in his town, uh, you know, they're they're overwhelmed, they're freaking out, they can't handle it, can't believe a, a sanctuary city would have to provide sanctuary. We weren't prepared for that. We didn't know we'd have to do that. We thought we could just say the word, and we can't actually be a sanctuary. So Eric Adams, the mayor of New York City, said maybe we could use the spare rooms in your home. Could you Could you have an illegal immigrant... In a spare room in your house. Now, I'm not, I'm not negating the um, personal impulse one might have to open up one's home to a stranger. It's a beautiful thing if you were so inclined. But imagine that's the response of an elected official, the mayor of the largest city in the country. His plan now is maybe you have an extra room. A city government that commandeers so much of the wealth through taxes and fees of its 10 million residents is now going to those residents and saying, hey, we need your, we need your guest room. But that's not even the craziest thing that's being said today about, that's just getting the headlines. That's not even the craziest thing that's being said about illegal immigrants. For that, we have to come right back home to our uh, old buddy, our old pal, Javier Salazar, you know him today as the sheriff of Bear County. Back in the day when we used to talk to him a lot on KTSA, it was because he was the public information officer for the SAPD. And I have to tell you, he was really good at it. And I think I can speak for most people in television and radio media. We liked Javier. We liked working with him. He was he was a good guy. He's probably still a good guy. But I don't know what's happened to him since he became the sheriff of Bear County. He's in the national news today because he thinks they should charge Ron DeSantis with human trafficking and other criminal charges for flying the illegal immigrants who had come across in Texas. Remember, Ron DeSantis last year flew them to Martha's Vineyard. And Ron DeSantis got a lot of attention for that, but that was also at the same time that the, the Greyhound buses were taking illegal immigrants to New York and Washington, D.C., and the vice president's residence and Chicago and other places. So Sheriff Salazar is a national figure today uh, because these um, this, this plan that DeSantis hatched is criminal, and he wants uh, Joe Gonzalez to prepare... Um, criminal charges for Ron DeSantis. Do you think Ron DeSantis should be tried 
and put in jail. I mean, that, that's, the, that's the level of seriousness. And, you know, I, I, I hate to say it because, again, he, he's a nice person when you meet him, when you're around him, when you deal with him. But the sheriff has been a disaster. He can't run the jail. He can't run his department. His department is rife with, with personnel and discipline issues. It's a hot mess. And I'm sorry, but I've been in this seat too long to fall for the old, uh, you know, shiny object, look a squirrel kind of distraction. So a guy that's failing to do what he's supposed to do for the residents of Bear County has decided to achieve a national political stature to earn brown points with it, you know, brown nose points with his, with his Democratic Party and say, hey, you know, Ron DeSantis is a criminal. We should, we should really throw him in the, in the hooskow. By the way, the granddaddy of them all for moving illegal immigrants around the country, for dropping them off with no notice, in all kinds of cities and states all over our land, is the federal government. So does, does Javier Salazar also think that in the cell next to Ron DeSantis, we should put Alejandro Mayorkas or other policymakers in the Biden administration, excuse me, the, the Biden-Harris administration? I mean, do your damn job. I'm tired of mayors and governors and sheriffs, and district attorneys who can't do what the job description says but know very well how to get on CNN's morning show. And boy, this will do it. You're on board. You're getting the, you're getting the interviews. And, and, and after all, that was Javier Salazar's job when he worked for the police department. That was his job to get interviews and do interviews and dispense information, and he was very good at it. Apparently, he misses it and wants to do more of it. But it's just a silly distraction. No, Ron DeSantis is not a human trafficker. He may not be your cup of tea for president. That's fine. But come on. Get real. This just gets more and more surreal the longer it goes on. Anyway, I want to talk about that. 210-599-5555. Speaking of CNN, this is a story from CNN. Little Mermaid tanks in China and South Korea amid racist backlash. The Little Mermaid has bombed with moviegoers in China and South Korea, which, parenthetically, very important overseas markets for Hollywood, okay, has tanked with moviegoers in China and South Korea amidst racist critiques over the casting of black actress Halle Bailey as main character Ariel. Disney's live-action remake of The Little Mermaid has made only $3.6 million in mainland China since opening there May 26th. Uh, it brought in just um, $2.7 million in its first five days compared with about $25 million for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse in the first five days of that's opening. In South Korea, the same thing, a really flat opening compared to like Fast and Furious and other recent Hollywood releases. So in two countries that Hollywood depends on and that usually they rake it in, The Little Mermaid is not doing well. And, and they wondered why. And it's because uh, viewers in those countries question the choice of Halle, Berry, of Halle Bailey, I knew I would say that, as the star of the movie. See, in this country, everyone hailed the, the um, you know, enlightened decision to cast a black actress 
as the mermaid. And we know that that was virtue signaling, and we know that that was done intentionally, and no one believes, uh, by the way, when uh, the director of the movie, Rob Marshall, a big-time lefty, when he says, as he said in interviews, that it was just pure coincidence that Haley Bailey is black and was hired for the role, we, we, he says, we looked at every ethnicity, we had no agenda to cast a woman of color, we just were looking for the best Ariel... I don't. I didn't see the movie, and I don't know. I hear she's done great in it, but I don't believe that. I'm sorry. I, I guess. I guess I can't prove that he's lying, but he's not going to be able to prove to me that he's telling the truth either. Um, I think Hollywood these days is very self-conscious about race. It looks like a very looks like a very insecure place about race. In fact, when I see this many powerful white people being this insecure about race, I think we're looking at some racists, right? Right. But they have discovered that their virtue signaling, which doesn't really hurt them in this country, is killing them in China and the Pacific Rim. I wonder how long they will be able to endure that. Because if you look at the track record of U.S. companies, not only entertainment companies, but the NBA and uh, other, other you know, Nike and Apple, if you look at, if you look at the track record of, of American companies, whatever they need to do to be popular and profitable and have market share in Asia, they will do whatever it takes. So we'll, this will be very interesting to watch. I, I, I wish nothing but the best for this actress. And like I said, I didn't see the movie. I'm not, I'm not critiquing the choice of her, but we, I think we can safely assume Hollywood had a little, uh, had, had an agenda and they're discovering that the rest of the world isn't interested. The rest of the world isn't interested in helping Hollywood feel better about itself. So I was reading a, um, a blog. Uh, this guy, uh, Ben Weingarten, wrote this. It's a Substack blog where you have to subscribe to it. And he, he said, here is the single most important question... GOP presidential candidates must answer. And that got my attention because, you know, we talk about this all the time. And, and I think you know what I've said. So I was curious to see what Ben Weingarten would say. He writes, there's one fundamental question that any candidate vying for the Republican nomination in 2024 must answer. And as of yet, has gone largely unaddressed, at least publicly, as the field is sparring over significant but ultimately subordinate issues. His question is, listen to this. How will you win the general election under the present voting system? And I sat back in my chair and I thought, finally, <laughs> I felt like the only person saying this. Thank you, Mr. Weingarten. How will you win the general election under the present voting system? That is much more important than whether candidate B is better than candidate D, or whether candidate E is more electable than candidate F, or whether candidate A is the, is too young or too old or too this or too that, or uh, people are already making tickets. I want this one and this one. How are you going to win? You haven't won any elections since they changed the rules. We've had two of them. You haven't won. In fact, you've underperformed expectations. You've, you've actually done worse than even you thought you would do, Republicans. How are you going to win in 2024 under the present voting system?
We're going to talk about that. And then I read this. This was Nate Cohn in the New York Times. He's writing about millennials. It says, as the Democratic Party becomes more progressive, radical, and insistent on its push for a liberal agenda, millennial Americans are heading and leaning toward the right. Uh, Nate Cohn says, millennials are shifting toward the Republican Party. I don't really know enough millennials to have detected this shift. I know some, um, and it, it happens that the people I know are kind of spread across the spectrum. Do you see a pattern there? Do you do you think this is true? We're talking about millennial voters, so we're talking about basically some of the youngest voters, you know, the under 30 voter. Do you feel like they are moving Shifting, drifting to the right. I mean, Nate Cohn is saying it. He's not a he's not a righty. He's not a guy that, that hopes this is true or wants this to be true. He's a data guy, and he he says the data tells him that. What do you think? Cecilia writes to Jack at KTSA.com. How much is the DNC going to contribute to Javier Salazar's campaign? Salazar is an embarrassment to the city, county, and state. Yeah, the sheriff is bandying around the idea that. There should be criminal charges for Ron DeSantis because Ron DeSantis transported illegal immigrants who had come into Texas from Mexico up to Martha's Vineyard. Um, if there were going to be criminal charges, it seems like there would be criminal charges for the people that prey on illegal immigrants, starting with coyotes and cartels. And then maybe we would look at the criminal neglect of their duties that the federal officials involved have done. In other words, the people for whom guarding the border is a duty have failed it, have not done it. Maybe they ought to be punished. What DeSantis and Abbott did, in my opinion, and we can debate this, what they did was they called the bluff of politicians who thought it was fine for Texas to bear the full brunt of the onslaught. And when they were asked, invited, required, to shoulder a little bit of the load, just a little, they swooned onto their fainting couches. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, been, it's been hysterical watching these, these Scarlett O'Hara's of the Democratic Party just, just faint dead away. You know, ass over tea kettle. Oh my gosh. Oh, good Lord. Because they get, in Sacramento, they got 16. Martha's Vineyard got 49. They called the, the Massachusetts National Guard. Get them out of here. So, Javier Salazar to me is an embarrassment to Javier Salazar. I thought he'd be good at the job. I think we've discovered that he had reached his maybe his potential as the public information officer for the SAPD. He was good at that. But this is, this to me is, is somebody flailing. Things are not good at the jail. Things are not good in the department. Uh, you know, his job is safe because it's a Democratic county. He'll be fine. He'll get reelected with 60% of the vote no matter what he does. But, I, you know, the, the guy is obviously hoping we won't notice while he, while he talks about something that isn't absolutely not going to happen. I think the guy is hoping we will notice that he's not doing the job he's supposed to do. And by the way, I'll probably get pulled over now, but I'm just, but I'm just I have to say it. I mean, it's ridiculous. 210-599-5555. Um, did you see that story? It was on television a day or two ago 
And it was about a Walgreens in Chicago that had reopened. They had closed it. You know, these stores in these cities are having to close because of runaway violence, shoplifting. The employees of the stores don't feel safe. So it's a combination of they can't protect their people. They can't protect their, protect their um, inventory. So they, they reopened the Walgreens. But when they reopened it, the store now has only two aisles. And the whole front of the store is like a, it looks like a bank lobby where you go up to these windows. You know how like in a bank lobby, it's an, it's an open space, and then there are the teller windows, and you go up to like a glassed-in window, and you can talk to the person. So when you go to this Walgreens, you have to go up to that window and tell them what you want, and they'll go get it, but you can't roam around the store, and they have metal that's, if you do get through, if they do allow you in and you can browse the two remaining aisles, you have to go through, I guess, metal detectors to, to get in. Now, I'm not knocking. It's a, it's a company that can do whatever they want in their stores. Would you want to shop that way, though? Does that, sound, does that sound good to you? Does that sound like the future you were expecting or anticipating in life? In other words, is that a, a reasonable response to what we are seeing right now? I mean, how would you feel about that? I don't know if you're a Walgreens person or a CVS person, or, but, but I mean, that, that's ridiculous. A bare minimum responsibility of city government is safe streets and the ability of business owners to operate their businesses. When I see this Walgreens, I see a society that has given up. We're not trying anymore. We're not saying, we're not saying this won't do we're saying, oh, we'll just do this. Oh, okay, I guess I don't need to pick out my own stuff at Walgreens. I guess I can just, okay, that's all right. And then there was another story, and this, there's something like this in the news every day, practically. There was a story about, do you know what Lululemon is? Uh, Lululemon is a clothing company. And um, they recently were in the news. They fired two employees who um, attempted to uh, stop shoplifters uh, Jennifer Ferguson and Rachel Rogers worked in their store uh, in the Atlanta metro area. There were people stealing, and um, they tried to stop them at Lululemon. So it's not really the place you expect somebody to <laughs> to mount a stand, but anyway, they did, and they got fired. And the the CEO of the company was uh, asked about that. His name is Calvin McDonald. This company's based in Canada. And he said um, they have a zero-tolerance policy on engaging thieves, and so the two women were fired. We train our workers about engaging during a theft. It's only merchandise. And I thought that was interesting because the, the line, it's only merchandise, is sort of what looters were saying remember when when we had all the looting going on in the summer of 2020 and people would say what why are you stealing and they'd say well these businesses don't they have insurance and we need this stuff and they're rich and they can afford to lose it and it's just stuff so the the ceo of a retailer is basically m making the same argument the looters are making that it's just stuff now i understand don't get me wrong if I owned a store, I would, I would, I would be devastated if anything happened to my employees. 
And I would certainly not want them to risk their life for a shirt or something. But, by the same token, dude, do you have any idea how you sound? Do you have any idea what a surrender this looks like? The, the bad guys are the two employees you, fi- you, got, you got stolen from and you fired your employees? And then, you know, the, the Walgreens decides to reopen as if it's a, you know, a bank lobby. Is it just me or does it look like we're giving up? Are we giving up? I mean, they're giving up. Are you giving up? So are you a millennial, or do you know millennials, or do you have millennial uh, co-workers, family members? Is there a millennial nearby? You could just grab them real quick. I'm I'm sort of kidding. Uh, According to Nate Cohn at the New York Times, um, millennials are shifting toward the Republican Party. Is that true? You believe that? Uh, Here's one of the statistics that he cites um millennials were solid on obama i mean they were they were they were with obama he was their dream candidate plus think about who he ran against he ran against john mccain and then mitt romney who you know nice guys not a lot of outreach for millennials but biden barely held on to the same group of voters who were millennials in 2008 they they did not they did not transition over to Biden. Now, is that because they're moving to the right or is that because Joe Biden is no Barack Obama? And then he looked at congressional races and he found in, in a uh, New York Times poll that millennial voters had only a slight preference for democratic candidates uh last year. And traditionally, they are very big on Democratic candidates. They default to Democratic candidates. Do you believe millennials are changing? I I don't know if that's true, but I, I was trying to think, well, if it is true, why would it be true? And and one thought I had was that, could it be that millennials are just sick and tired of being preached to? I mean, if you're if you're in that age bracket, okay, so we'll just round it off and say under 30, one way of looking at your life is that you have been programmed and and maybe even brainwashed by everything from public schools to the entertainment media. But the other way of looking at it is you have been constantly barraged with like sermons. Like everything is a is a um a woke lecture. Now, it's one thing to go to church on Sunday and hear a sermon. It's one thing to go to school and attend a lecture, but if everything, everywhere you go, every time you go to a concert, every time you put on a TV show, every time you you, uh, watch a movie, everything, everywhere, Netflix, everything, is a lecture. And it's this relentless drubbing. Maybe, Maybe you get tired of it. Maybe it backfires. Maybe millennials are backlashing against the heavy-handedness of what they're getting. So that was one thought I had. The other thought I had is maybe it's just what happens to all of us as we, as we get older. You know, when you, when you are in your teens and 20s, you have a worldview, whatever it is, that is likely to evolve, right? Like as you get into your late 20s and in your 30s, life experiences, work experiences, uh, 
maybe 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 they are just rethinking the way we all did as we aged. Uh, do you believe, as this guy is saying, that millennials are drifting, shifting uh, to the right? Do you see any evidence of that yourself? Do you think that? 210-599-5555. That, by the way, is our JR poll today, powered by River City Oral Surgery. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, D-Day. Uh, today is the 79th anniversary of the D-Day landings that became the beginning of the end of World War II. Get some thoughts on that coming up. We were talking about the uh, the Walgreens in Chicago and the way they remodeled it so you can't actually touch anything. And then uh, Lululemon, the CEO, is defending the firing of employees who tried to stop shoplifters. And he is saying, look, uh, we trained them not to do it, and they didn't obey their training. So when I look at those two stories, the, the Walgreens and the Lululemon, I think, is this how we, is this how we feel about it? Is this, is this the response we want? We, we get why these companies are doing it, but is this the right direction for the society? It, it looks to me like surrender. Kim is at 210-599-5555 on KTSA. Kim, good afternoon. Hey there, Jack. Um, so I am an employee of one of those companies. And, you know, we, we get training on, just like you said, that those employees do. And the, I, I really feel the motivation is that the companies don't want to get sued. If one of these employees... Right gets killed it's going to be a lot more expensive to the company than the merchandise they lose Mm -hmm. yeah i understand that i mean i i understand why their policy would be do not Mm -hmm. run after them do not physically engage them um are you good with with firing the employees therefore i understand why they're doing it uh I, I don't agree with it, uh, but until our, our our I mean, can't you just say to them, "Hey, don't ever do that again"? Mm-hmm. Well, um, well, then when someone does get killed, uh, then there's evidence. Hey, look, you didn't fire the employee before mm-hmm. who let this happen, so uh, you know. It's bad behavior, so mm-hmm. we're really we're really going to stick it to you. So you're sending a message to the employees that hey, we're really serious. Uh, if you don't obey this training, you will be fired. I I, I get that. Do, do you see the other message you're sending though? The message you're sending to the rest of the world? Absolutely. I mean, this dude yeah. just said it's only merchandise. So if if that's his attitude toward his own inventory, Kim. Why should I pay for it? Why shouldn't I just walk out with it? What, what, am, I, what, what, what am I doing being a sucker and going up to the cash register? I, exactly. I understand that. And un, until we demand more of the laws and the lawmakers, um, it's only going to get worse. Like, maybe it would be be I'm not trying to argue with you. Please, you seem like a very nice person. Oh. But maybe it would be better if instead of firing these two women and ruining their day, 
he said, you know, I am furious that these two women who are our valued employees, they're part of our family, I am furious that they had to do this or they felt compelled to do this. And he should be bringing his grievance, as you just said, to the mayor, the police chief, the people that whose job it is to have safe streets. It, it, it's, it's easy to fire these two women, but it would be nice if he would put up a little bit of a fight for them. I agree. And, you know, if, if, if it was um, well known and documented that that was his reaction in the future, if there was a lawsuit, then it wouldn't, it wouldn't you know, that, yeah. that could be his defense. So yeah. I, I think that would be a very good thing for the CEOs and presidents to do. But your feeling is primarily the concern here was we don't want to be sued if something terrible happens. So we're going to send a message that we have zero tolerance, which is exactly the words he used. We have zero tolerance for you raising a finger. Yeah, I think that's why the companies do it. Yeah, okay. Kim, I appreciate it. I hope that uh, you stay safe and and nothing happens where you work. I appreciate your calling. Daryl is on the Jack Riccardi Show. Hi, Daryl. Hey, so I agree with your last caller about uh, the employer firing the, or the owner firing the two employees. Uh, but his reason is terrible. Um, if if I'm a customer, he's just passing that loss off to me, the customer. He's okay with that. So if he had said, I am firing you simply because you have disobeyed our policy, that's totally different than saying we're just going to give merchandise away for free. Because if he's giving it away for free, sign me up twice. I'll take all the merchandise for free. Because he's passing the, that cost right. to me, the consumer. Right. That's right. And that's exactly the excuse. He's making the same excuse the looters made uh, when they were confronted about why they were stealing from Target and all these different stores. Well, because these stores have insurance and they can cover it and they can afford it and they're rich. He sounds just like the people that are looting his store. Right. I'm not rich and I got to pay for car insurance for unemployed or uninsured motorists. And I got to pay that out of pocket for people who don't pay for car insurance. Right. I got to pay higher health insurance for people who don't have health insurance when they go to the hospital. So everybody exactly. wants to break the law. I got to pay for it. Exactly. So, but I also think it's a bad look. I got to say, Daryl, it's a bad look to fire the employees uh, because your community has become so unsafe and lawless that it's it's a free for all. I mean, if that's if that's all he's doing. Shame on him. I get the legal part of it. I don't need it explained to me. You know, I can understand it. But, man, that's a, that's a weak-ass you know, response to a very dramatic thing that just happened, not only to those two women, but all the other people that still work in that store. Now they got to wonder, well, where do I stand? You know, what, 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 what am I to expect tomorrow, and, and am I safe at work? And, and this is what I mean. I, I get the legal part of it, but I'm thinking of us. I'm thinking of society. It, are you okay with pulling back behind the fortress? Are you okay with going into Walgreens? You're walking in, you're striding in from the parking lot, your hands are swinging, and bam, you walk into a glass wall right inside the, the front door. Oh, you can't come any further. What? I got a list of things. I got. Well, no, just tell us what you need. We'll bring it to you. But I want to look and see if I'm getting the 12 ounce or the 18 ounce or the 50 count or the 100 count. Or no, no, we just. I mean, I I understand the in the moment decision, but in the big picture, 
This looks like a society that has given up. Here we are on the anniversary of D-Day, and we're all, everybody's saying the right things about that generation. Meanwhile, here at home, not on a beach being raked by German artillery, here at home, Walgreens isn't safe. Does it, does it seem okay to you? Does it seem like it's just, oh, it's the new normal. Oh, just get used to it. Things change. I don't know if you know anything about this or not. What, what, is, the, what is the deal with this PGA-LIV merger today? Is this like the NBA and the ABA or the NFL and the AFL? Yeah, or? I'm not going to lie. I'm not a big time. If you've seen me swing a golf club, you'd know mm. exactly why I'm not yeah. the guy to ask. But... Yeah. You know, there's been controversy we've been following for more than six months uh, with um, the the with the live, I guess they call it, Saudi Arabia golf, mm-hmm. and you've got PGA players crossing over for money, and kind of what you said that that comparison you made is kind of what it looks like because mm-hmm. you had competing leagues, you know, competing organizations all coming together to make one. Mm-hmm. It's got a very merger feel to it. Uh, you think you know very little about it. Until today, and I'm not making this up, I really didn't know if it was LIV or 54 in Roman numerals. I, I didn't know. Mm-hmm. I, I saw LIV all the time. I'm, I'm thinking like Roman numerals. Yeah, I thought that when I first saw it just a few months ago. I just, you know, I'm I'm just I'm not big into golf. I know some people can watch it all day Saturday afternoon. If I, if yeah. I was going to be involved with golf... I would be a good player. I just can't see myself watching it as all. Yeah. You know. So. I, I can watch it once in a while, but like you, I'm not I don't know enough about it. I don't watch it regularly enough. Apparently mm-hmm. there were a lot of people the one thing I am hearing today is there were a lot of people in the sport that said a lot of stuff, probably thinking this day would never come. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now they're having to um, you know, walk it back, tone it down. Because there was real, real bad blood, like between, you know, legendary PGA guys and these guys that there were rising stars in the LIV and what have you, and everybody's got to make nice now, you know. The last big story that I really looked at in golf was Tiger Woods winning the Masters, like almost thirty mm-hmm. years, like twenty five mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm I'm expired. I'm out of date. I understand. I understand. <laughs> I'll give it. Duly noted in the uh, Christian blood file. And uh, a lot of stuff we're talking about at 210-599-5555. Do you believe the theory that millennials are shifting to the right? I mean, if you age, you tend to shift to the right. But I think what Nate Cohn is saying is looking at apples to apples. In other words, looking at a voter today who is the age of a voter, you know, the, the, of looking at somebody that same age <clears throat> 15 years ago. So we're comparing, let's say, a 25-year-old now to a 25-year-old then, not saying, well, what's happened to the 25-year-old in the last 15 years? That we would be able to predict. But saying just if we look at the same age group and the way they were voting then and the way they're voting now, he claims he sees evidence that they're shifting to the right. Do you see that? Do you believe that? Do you have evidence of that? Uh, or is that something that you got to be careful about wanting to believe but not necessarily having uh, evidence of? 
So some people have written to me and have said, well, obviously uh, millennials are aging out of their old views. And I, yeah, we're not talking about that. He's not talking about that. He's talking about comparing people of the same age in different voting cycles, different elections. So like the Obama election versus the Biden election. 210-599-5555. And you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of the factors, if this is happening, and I don't know if I believe it, but I wouldn't be surprised if people are just fed up with being lectured to and having stuff crammed down their throat. Because when you when you look around the world at societies where people are uh, just barraged with with propaganda, if you look at you know, really oppressive uh, totalitarian regimes that w- where you can never get away from the party line. You know, it's like, it's like, remember Orwell in 1984, I think it was, he envisioned, or maybe it was Huxley in Brave New World. Remember the, remember the idea that there would be a screen in your house and it was the, the party's channel and you could not turn it off. It was on all the time. So the messaging was coming into your house all the time. We're not far from that, if you think about it. And maybe people are just pushing back against the, the drudgery, the monotony, and, and what is probably starting to look obvious to them as propaganda. I mean, how many times can you teach critical race theory to someone who is not a racist and has never acted or you know behaved in a racist manner before they're going to start to hate the message and they're going to start to rebel against the people that are pushing the message and they're going to start to say you know what I I don't need this in my life now again I'm just kind of spitballing it because you and I know that if you expose people to a steady barrage, a lot of people just wilt under it. They just fall under it. They just, it, they absorb it, and it becomes them, and they become it, and we've, we're seeing that. But what if the powers that be are pushing it too far, too hard, too much, and people are starting to get fed up instead of filled up with it? 210-599-5555. And I'll tell you one place you see that. If you think about these, and I'm not saying there's, there's, there's millions of them or thousands of them, but we're starting to see young women step forward in academia, in um, uh, college and even high school sports, and say, no, I don't want a man who identifies as a woman in my race, in my heat, in my locker room. No, I'm not going to be told I'm mean or, or prejudiced or bigoted or, or, or a phobe for saying that. I, I know what's right and wrong, and I know this is wrong, and I'm not okay with this. And I'm not going to pretend I am, and you're not going to coerce me or threaten me into it, and I'm not going to be intimidated into it. And even if I see my peers seeming to embrace it or go along with it, I, I won't and I don't. You're seeing that. You're seeing that. You're seeing young people, in essence, have their Tiananmen Square you know, moments. So that one way of looking at that is, well, Jack, that's nice, but there's very, very few of them. 
what if there are more of them than we know, but we only get the ones that are interviewed on Fox or, or something like that? I mean, maybe there are more. Because maybe people are just getting fed up instead of filled up. So you know Leah Thomas is the trans swimmer, a guy, a biological male, uh, who had competed as a male, sort of mediocrely, uh, decided to uh, identify as a woman. I, I honestly wonder if he really thought he'd get away with it. Maybe just thought, let me give this a try. Have you ever done that in life where you've said, I don't know if this will work or not, but I'm going to throw up against the wall and see if it sticks. So he he presents himself, I want to be on the women's swim team because now I, I identify as a woman. They let him. He cleans up in in terms of competition. And um, it's been a, it's been this whole controversy, and there have been several others since Are we okay there? And, and uh, there have been several others since then. And... Um, the documentary that you've heard so much about, Matt Walsh, uh, who did the documentary What is a Woman, in part focuses on this and interviewed uh, one of uh, Leah Thomas's teammates. Now, the most famous teammate or competitor to speak out about this is Riley Gaines. But, but he talked to this, this other uh, young woman named Paula Scanlon. And Paula Scanlon talks about something that I don't think has received as much attention in this whole story. Um, Listen to cut number eight. Listen to this. Actually, one of the girls, uh, you know, very upset. She went crying to the athletic department, and I don't know what they said to her, but she then was completely on board and thought Leah swimming was like this magical, beautiful thing. Like, am I, is there something wrong with me for thinking that this is wrong? Whatever, like, it worked. The university wanted us to be quiet, and they did it in a very effective way. Like, there was something going on in that athletic department that wanted to keep us quiet. And I was like, this is getting scary. So we've heard a lot about, the like, I feel I've been cheated. I feel like this is not fair competition. We've heard about the discomfort in the locker room. I'm not, I'm not overlooking or painting over that. What we haven't heard a lot about is, so when they presented a boy and said he's competing as a girl, these young women understood instinctively, uh, viscerally, this is not right. And when they went to their school or their athletic department or whatever it was, they were told they were wrong. They were gaslighted into not only accepting it. It's one thing to say to somebody, suck it up, buttercup, you're going to have to deal with this. You know, They were, in essence, gaslighted into believing that they were aberrant. They were wrong. Their reaction was weird and not normal. What's wrong with you? This is your teammate, the school said to them. They were not listened to. They were bullied. And she's telling the story of of a girl that goes to complain and comes back like she's been hypnotized. It's great. So wonderful that Leah Thomas is on our team. So 
thinking about this as the father of a of a now college aged daughter, not that she's a swimmer, but I, I think to myself, you you can't get this more wrong. I mean, it, it's wrong to put a, a a guy on the girls' team. It's wrong to put a guy in the girls' locker room. But it is wrong to take young men and women who have good instincts and try to turn their own instincts against them. And so what we have to say to our kids, this is what I took away from it, and I'd like to hear what you think. What we have to say to our kids is, trust your mind, trust your heart, trust your gut, trust your thoughts, because you're going to be in situations where people of, of authority, people older than you, people that you looked up to or, or, or you think you should look up to, are going to tell you, you're the problem, you're wrong, you're crazy. I mean, that's what gaslighting is, right? It's not, it, it, the, the problem is not this other person, the problem is you. I mean, that's, that's where the term comes from. I know that word gets thrown around a lot. But it's from a movie where a guy tried to drive his wife crazy by lying to her. Charles Lawton and Ingrid Bergman, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. And so that's what, that's what was happening, that's what, and that's what Paula Scanlon is describing. They tried to make us the bad guys. What do you think about that? 210-599-5555. And when you send your son or daughter into higher education, obviously they're adults, you're letting go to a large extent. You know, dropping them off at college is not the same as dropping them off at middle school. They are going to be adults. They're going to live on their own. They're going to take care of their own business, hopefully. But you do expect that these institutions maintain some level of security, have some sense of, of rules and conduct and decorum. You do not pay these schools to conduct a terror campaign against your daughter, to do a, a psychological number on your daughter. And I don't know if we can save them. If this is where they're at, if this is truly where they're at, and, you know, it would be one thing if we were just talking about, like, colleges in the Northeast or the East Coast or the East and West Coasts. But, you know, this stuff's happening at A&M. This stuff's happening at UT. This stuff is, is in places and, and parts of the country that people otherwise feel very much in sync with. But, but if there's an institution of higher education there, I don't care how red the state is or how many points Trump won it by, this is what's going on. And this is a process that's played out over years and years, and, and you and I have not been aware of it. it. It has taken root and festered before we became aware of it. And I don't know what you, you know, I mean, if you have a child that wants to go to college, you're not going to say, well, I'm not, you're not going to college because they're they're all communists. But but in essence, you have to make some kind of deal that says, look, I know you want the degree and I know you want the training. 
and I, I want you to have your career or your pursuit of happiness, but I can't let you go and be destroyed. I can't let the child I raised and have put all of this love and, and, and um, uh, you know, basically upbringing into, I can't just let them go and, and hollow you out and send back a, a, a bot that you know, recites the proper lines and has, has memorized the talking point. I can't, I can't let that happen. And so I wonder how many Riley Gaines and Paula Scanlons there are. I mean, I, it, 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 there can't be just the ones that Matt Walsh has talked to. You know, what, what do they say? Where, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? How many are there and, and how many do there need to be for this to matter? Former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is announcing he's running for president. He's doing an event in New Hampshire. He's kind of walking around in this little theater in the round situation. He's got some people sitting in chairs, a big American flag. And I, I, I tuned in during the commercial break. I just want to see what he was saying. I'm not making this up. So Chris Christie, as I turn up the volume, says, the question for our country is, are we going to be small or are we going to be big? Yeah, Chris Christie. I, I don't see, who, like, who writes this stuff? <laughs> That's just not a good way to put it, if you're Chris Christie. All right. So he's in. Uh, Mike Pence is running. Um, the field's getting bigger. Uh, we'll talk about that coming up. Uh, there is uh, an interesting, the, the guy that is not running, John Sununu, the governor of New Hampshire, he announced he's not going to run. But he, he has thrown down a challenge to the Republicans. And I'll tell you what he said. See what you think about that here coming up. Uh, 210-599-5555. So we're learning that the Leah Thomas scandal isn't just about Leah Thomas. It's it's really about the gaslighting of the women on that swim team by their own coaches and athletic department, in essence telling them that they were bad people for being uneasy, uncomfortable, now, look, it's one thing if you want to say to people, we've made a decision and we're standing by it. We, we had to make a call and we made the call. Uh, you know, okay. Or, or even if you said, hey, I, I realize this is not what you expected or what you got into this for. Come talk to me if you're struggling with this, if you're not good with this. If you're okay. I mean, that's, that's what a leader would do. Not that a leader would probably make this decision in the first place, but... But to, to just basically make the women on the team feel dirty and small and petty and kind of evil and kind of crazy because they're not comfortable. It's, it's just, it, it's, it's ju- it just sucks. I mean, it is just absolutely the lowest of the low. And I don't know if these were men or women who made these decisions, but I, I couldn't even look him in the eye. I couldn't even look him in the eye. They should be ashamed of themselves. Brian is on KTSA. Brian, good afternoon. How you doing, sir? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you? I'm good. Uh, just uh, weighing in on the Leah Thomas thing. Um, don't don't agree with it at all. And, and I think if 
the student body or the coaches can't do anything about it. I, I think if somebody like that is going to break records and, and win things, um, maybe they should, since we're all identifying these days, maybe their name should be identified with some type of an asterisk. Um, and when people ask, what does that asterisk stand for? Well, clearly, uh, I was born a man. Uh, I compete in women's sports now. So I might not truly hold the record, but I'm going to hold the record from that aspect. And the, the only other thing I wanted to call out, too, was Serena Williams, who was the number one tennis female player in the world, was asked, you know, would you ever compete against the men? And she said, absolutely not, because uh, it's an unfair advantage. It's just it's different, if you will. And she actually ended up doing a practice round with the 200, 200 ranked man in the world, and he beat her 6061. Mm. So that was just wow. my take on everything. I had not heard that. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I agree with you, Brian. I, I, I would I would like to put an asterisk next to the names of the uh, athletic director who made the decision. Can we, can we put, Absolutely. Can we put an asterisk next to his or her it. name? If we're going to call everything out, and let's bygones yeah. be bygones, if you will, we're just going to have to call it out, and that way it's yeah. actually written in stone. And I think this goes back to the other young lady that almost beat her for that record in that competition. She still should have won, but they had yeah. to give it to Leah instead of her. Right, right. Brian, pre- appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Thanks for calling. 210-599-5555. I'm not sure when this was. Let me play this for you. Um, this was on Dr. Phil, I guess, recently. I don't know. I don't know a lot about who this is. It says that he's a fifth-grade teacher. And he was on an episode of Dr. Phil where they were talking about the trans uh, movement. And they had, you know how Dr. Phil does it. He has a bunch of insane people and one sane person. And that one sane person has to do all the heavy lifting and all the... <laughs> And all the work, right? If you ever, if you've ever watched, I'm not a regular viewer, but if you've ever watched Dr. Phil, there's only one person on there that makes any sense, and and this it was this guy, and he is very calmly, uh, just destroying, but very nicely, very politely, very calmly, just destroying the arguments these trans activists are making. It's uh, cut number four, Don transgender boys who might not have their own money to go buy tampons if they're provided free in the bathroom it's it's a huge plus men do not menstruate only women menstruate now you can call yourself whatever you don't want menstruate, but trans men do menstruate no, same they as don't. non-binary people <clears throat> only menstruating women. is not exclusive yes, to it cis is. women no it's not yes it is so explain you're, to me as to why my body if menstruated you are, if your chromosomes are xx and you're young, you menstruate. If you're XY, you don't. Correct, but what about trans men and non-binary? They're not excluding men. a whole group of they're, people. They're women dressed as men. You are not a man. People pretend to be a man, and that's okay. That's perfectly fine. Live your life and tell me what a man is. <laughs> well, what's a man to you? You define a man for me. You have chromosomes that are X and Y. That's what a man is. So why are we just looking at the the the, the science of this as an the example science. when when we've learned sex and gender identity are two very they're completely different things they're not completely they different are completely things. different completely different words and sex <laughs> is what you're born with the sexual reproductive organs you have gender is what you identify with they're completely different well i don't accept things. that distinction you have to argue for it you're just giving a conclusion you're you're just making it up people the people who hate the truth People who hate the truth are because they see they see the truth as hateful. If, if you want to identify in any way you can, you're free to do so. 
But that does not mean that the rest of us have to join that illusion. You disagree, I disagree with you, and so you call it hate. But there's no hate in my heart at all. So that's You fine. are being hateful when you tell somebody that identifies okay. as a man that they're not a man. That's not that hateful. hateful. That's a fact. Um, remains calm, is surrounded by people that are chipping in, chiming in, ch shifting their arguments. I love when you argue with the trans folks that they then demand that you define stuff. We, we already know the definition. And when you ask us to define, well, well, well what is a man? Well, you know what? I'm not confused about that. You are. I, I don't have to even say that part out loud. I already know that. You're the ones that are pretending there is no difference or it's not definable. And then when you give them the definition, he gives them a definition. Oh, that's hateful. Why is science good when it supports what you already want to do? Like if you want to go solar, you can cite climate change and then science is good. But then if somebody says, hey, it's the chromosomes, Sci you're hurting me with science. You're, you're blinding me with science. You're beating me over the head with science. Stop with the science. They were the party of science. I can't keep up. Uh, let's see. Uh, Kellogg High School, Kellogg, Idaho. The, um, graduating, the graduation had to be postponed after students protested the discipline of a student the discipline of a student, so that other students were angry at the disciplining of a student who made quote-unquote unapproved comments about gender. Um, and they had told this young man, his name is Travis Lohr, that he would not walk the stage because he was participating in an um, assembly and he was um, not buying in, not going along with, uh, the new thinking, if you will, about th there's more than two genders. So he was saying in his comments there are only two genders, and uh, the school said, "Fine, then you're not you're not going to be part of the graduation." And then his fellow students, it's a very small school, said, "Well, then we're walking out too," and that caused the postponement of the graduation. And somebody pointed out that if he had said almost anything else he could have said almost anything about anything else and they wouldn't have done this and then there was a story this is from the university of cincinnati uh 29 year old or 20 year old olivia krolchek says that she got a zero on a class assignment for using the term biological women it's a woman's studies class, so I guess we should have seen that coming. The professor called the term cruel and exclusionary, biological women. If you want acceptance, tolerance, civility, you're going to have to let us talk. You can't take all the words. You know, Dave Chappelle makes the joke about how the, they've taken a fifth of the alphabet. You, you can't take all the words. You can't take words away from people. You might wish to debate the words. You might wish to rebut the words. But you can't just start saying that words don't exist anymore. So she got a zero, and she's protesting uh, that. 
She was very reasonable about it. She said that uh, she asked the school if she could have her assignment graded by a different professor. But her argument was, I did the work. I just want to, I want to grade that reflects the work I did. Obviously, this professor can't handle it. She says she was uh, called by her professor a TERF. I had to look that up. A TERF is a trans-exclusionary radical feminist. Trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And they're feminists who believe that trans people are mocking womanhood. That it's almost as if if somebody puts on blackface, they're not black, they're mocking black people. If somebody puts on the identity of a woman who is not a woman, uh, TERFs, I guess, if I don't think they call themselves that, are people who say that's offensive to me. I, I understand that. I think as a guy, I think I can understand why, why there could be many women who would look at somebody like Dylan Mulvaney and go, is that how you think we act? Is that how you think we sound? Is that how you think we look? You know, I mean, really? That's how we look to you? So the... The field keeps growing of Republicans running for president. I don't know how you feel about that. I, I, I have some Republican friends that are angsting about this. There's, oh, there's too many. It's, this is going to be ridiculous. This, we're going we're gonna to have too many people running, and it's going to make... Really, if you think about it, um, isn't it always the case with whatever party is out of power? Like when Trump was running and the Democrats were out of power... Weren't there a ton of them? I think there were. Wasn't that where they had to do, like, debates over two nights because they had, like, two tiers? And I, I, I don't think uh, you should be surprised or worried about the number of people running because, obviously, most of, like, right now, Chris Christie is announcing in Manchester, New Hampshire, that there's no chance. It's not going to happen. He's doing this thing where he's walking around. He's got these people behind him who look like people waiting for their oil to be changed. They are the most bored, fidgety-looking people you've ever seen. I don't know if they did, they... did they even know they were coming to this? Or are they actually waiting for their oil to be changed? And Chris Christie just walked up and started talking. I don't know. They don't seem interested or engaged in whatever it is he's saying. And um, I would like to see Chris Christie just, in the course of making his announcement... Like, while he's walking around, he's, there's a little bottle of water on a table. You know what there should be? There should be, like, a snack table at one end of the room. And if Chris Christie, while he was talking about the country and his ways of making it better, if he just walked over, got himself, like, a like a powdered jelly donut, and just started, like, eating on it while he was talking, you know, just like you would talk to someone. So I got a shrimp. By the way, help yourself. We have donuts. Uh, like I was saying, if he did that, I would vote for him right now. I'd early vote in New Hampshire right now. It's not going to happen, but I can wish. Guy can dream. All right, we're going to talk about the presidential race because one Republican says, one Republican says he knows for sure what won't help them, what won't work for the Republicans. He says, mark my words, this will never happen. I'll tell you what he said. Could I um, could I interest you in some olive oil infused coffee? Uh, no. <laughs> I'm trying to cut back. <laughs> uh, so Starbucks is uh, rolling out Oleato drinks. Boy, they like their names, don't they? 
Yeah. They got all these names that don't mean any. If you go anywhere else in the world to get something, they don't know what a macchiato is. You got to be at Starbucks. But anyway, oleato is olive oil infused coffee drinks. Mm -mm. Austin, Boston, Chicago, Miami are the early test cities. Um, Now, there is some argument, or I guess there's a school of thought that drinking a little olive oil like first thing in the morning like having a shot of olive oil yeah could have health benefits not with coffee, like you know who though. does that ryan seacrest does that mm-hmm. he swears by it but then other people say that's really not the right way to do it you should have some olive oil in your diet but it's not a good idea to just drink a cup of olive oil is it just me are we getting kind of coffee flavor crazy like a month ago we're talking about coffee and mayonnaise Mm-hmm. And now we've arrived at coffee and olive oil. What's next? You know what it is. You know what it is, Christian. We're just, we're just getting bored. Like, <laughs> I remember when well, coffee in your coffee was was enough. Yeah. If somebody gave you a cup of coffee and you said what's in it, and they said coffee, and you said anything else, and they said no, you you were okay with that. But now people are like, what do you mean? It's just coffee. Yeah. Th- that's it. See, I want I... hemp infusion. I want mm-hmm. olive oil. I want. You know, I remember when the biggest complaint people had when I was a kid, you know, the grownups said something, well, if it's instant coffee, no, nah, I don't want that. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I can see that, but we're getting yeah. into a whole new universe. It's just, just, just drink the coffee. You know what turned the instant coffee around was uh, Mrs. Olson. Boy, when she came along with her Folgers crystals, all of a sudden, <laughs> it's better. all of a sudden, instant <laughs> right. coffee was very, very cool. Yeah. Thank you, Mrs. Olson. Where are you now when we need you? We don't know what we're doing anymore. We used to know what we were doing when, when we were having our Sanka and we were having our Folgers crystals. Now we're dumping olive oil and salad dressing into our coffee. We've lost our minds here, people. We don't know what we're doing. Jack, All right. Jack, Jack, you never knew what you were doing. I never knew. <laughs> I expect that other people do. So get your olive oil elsewhere and uh, don't put it in your coffee. 210-599-5555. So with everybody getting into the presidential race, uh, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu announced that he is not going to run. But he did an interview uh, on CNN. And, of course, they wanted to ask him, you know, about since he's not running, is he endorsing anybody? Uh, and he said, well, I expect to support whoever the nominee is, which is the safe answer. But he says there is one thing that his fellow Republicans absolutely, positively cannot do in 2024, and this is it. Cut number four. Cut, cut number two, excuse me. If cut number he two. is the nominee, will the Democrats win? Oh, yeah, he can't win in November of 24. Oh, the math has shown Donald Trump has no chance of winning in November of 24. He wouldn't even win Georgia. If you're a Republican that can't win Georgia of November 24, you have no shot. And he's proven that. So, and not only has he proven it, but the candidates he gets behind in a good conservative state like Georgia lose the race. His messaging doesn't translate. It does well with a hardcore 30, 35% base, but he loses everybody beyond there. And no one is undecided about the former president. There's no, there's no one out there going, well, maybe I, I might consider voting. No, you know where you are. He's a known commodity. And so the math doesn't add up. So if Republicans nominate him, then we're saying a vote for him in the in the primary is effectively a vote for, for Joe Biden. I mean, that's ultimately how the math will play out. Seems awfully sure of it, doesn't he? He doesn't say, well, I think, um, I fear. Oh, 
he's like, his voice gets real high. Oh, what? No, absolutely not. This guy's been president. Okay, hold on a minute, Chris Sununu. Hold on a minute. Hold on a minute. Let's break this down. At one time, and I mean in our lifetime, this guy Trump was elected. And not only did he win, but he won in a few places that the the knowledgeable people, because I admittedly am I'm not knowledgeable, but the, the knowledgeable people said he wouldn't win. He couldn't win. He shouldn't even go to the Wisconsins and the Michigans and what have you. But anyway, um, so Kristen Nunu says, look, everybody's made up their mind about Donald Trump, and therefore he can't win. The implication is, in order to win, you got to win back some people that the Democrats got last time. You got to be able to go to Georgia. You got to be able to go to Pennsylvania. You got to be able to maybe Michigan again. Okay, so I get the thinking. I mean, it's just math, right? I mean, you 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 can't win unless you win in the electoral college. You can't win in the electoral college unless you win more states than Trump won in 2020. Okay, is it true? Do you agree that if the Republicans nominate him, they are sure to lose? you agree? And if you disagree, why is Chris Sununu wrong? Because what he's saying is, hey, look, he doesn't appear to be able to win or expand the base of victory in the way that is necessary, in the way that somebody else might be able to. So if, if you agree with him, tell me that. If you disagree with him, why do you think Chris Sununu is wrong about this? By the way, I like Chris Sununu, and he's a smart guy, but he is way too sure of this, in my opinion. He is saying this like, you know, two plus two is four. Because there's two ways to look at this whole Donald Trump, people have made up their mind about him. I mean, it is true. Um, it's true of everybody who gets to that level. I really don't think there are that many undecided people about Joe Biden or Barack Obama, <laughs> you know, or Hillary Clinton. Most people have made up their mind about them, too. Are there are there really that many people, when you get to that level, and you get to that point, are there really that many undecideds left? I'm not sure there are. But here, here's what he's, I think, maybe confused about. I want to get your take on this, but I'm just going to give you mine real quick. 210-599-5555. When Chris Sununu says everyone's made up their mind about Donald Trump, that's actually probably true. But making your mind up about how you feel about him or what kind of duty is is not the same thing as we can't go on like this. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm furious. I was misled. I was lied to. I was told there would be unity. I, would to I was told there would be moderation. I was told we would just find solutions. I was told we would all come together. I think it is conceivable that while people may not all like Donald Trump, there might be enough people who are pissed off enough, who are frustrated enough, who are scared enough to vote for him anyway. Because they're hiring him. They're not marrying him. 
They're not saying, I want him to watch my children while I go to dinner. They're not saying, he's my favorite person on earth. They're not saying, I I hope my son grows up to be just like him. They're hiring a bastard to to do a job that's going to take being one. The guy is, I mean, he, he takes no prisoners. And so I'm not endorsing him or telling you what to do, but I think you have to separate... Yes, people have made up their mind or they've judged him. That's true. The question when they go to vote is, what do they want to have happen? What are they hiring a person to do? In a perfect world, you would hire a person who was not only going to be effective but admirable, not only effective but likable, not only effective but but attractive. In a perfect world, you'd get all that. But in the real world, you don't. Don't you think... Don't you think a lot of Democrats voted for Joe Biden holding their nose? They didn't like him. He's never been popular. He's never been popular. He didn't suddenly become popular. He just became the guy they needed. Hillary Clinton, good grief. You talk about unlikable. We're not even sure her own family likes her. So I, I think Chris Sununu, while he's a pretty bright guy, I think he's very confused about this. And he's probably telling us how he feels, and that's fine. But I would be too quick to say that Trump cannot win. He certainly isn't a lock to win. He may not be the best person to run. He may not be the most likely to win. And I happen to think that it's really important to find the person most likely to win. I think that's got to be job 1A. We can't go much longer like this. But what do you think about what he said? Oh, yeah, he can't win in November of 24. Oh, the math has shown Donald Trump has no chance of winning in November of 24. He won't even win Georgia. We are keeping an eye on a breaking story right now out of Virginia. Um, This is a shooting incident near a theater that was holding a high school graduation ceremony for Thomas Jefferson High School. We're told that the ceremony's been canceled. And we're hearing initially that the shooting occurred in an area near the theater in which the graduation was going to happen. So uh, hopefully uh, we don't have anybody involved in that graduation who was injured or killed or anything. Uh, But again, a a shooting that involved multiple injured people outside of and near a graduation venue in Virginia. And it's a story we're following. We'll bring you more on as we get it here on KTSA this afternoon. All right, so you just heard uh, that was the governor of New Hampshire, Republican Chris Sununu. The name sounds familiar. His dad, uh, John Sununu, was also the governor from that state and served in the Bush 41 administration. He announced he's not running for president in 2024, but he also said in an interview with Dana Bash on CNN that his party better not nominate Trump because there's no way he can win. That will not happen. Do you agree or disagree and why? And Paul is on the radio on KTSA. Paul, good afternoon. Yes, sir. Unfortunately, I agree with him. I I just don't feel like Trump can win. I Mm -hmm. voted for him two times. Mm -hmm. I believed in everything he did. 
Mm-hmm. But you want to know how many times I've listened to any of his speeches in the last two years? Not once. Yeah, why not? He, he, he's unlikable. He just He's just unlikable. And here's the problem. The people in America, we have not hit bottom yet. Mm. And you can't change the minds of these suburban women that can't stand mm. him. Because mm-hmm. of all of the malarkey that's been going on, oh, excuse mm-hmm. my malarkey deal. But it, it, I, I don't think, I think the people of America, and it's true, we're about 60% ignorant when it comes to taking care of business. Okay, and, and let's think about Georgia. I'm not sure if it was you, but I heard the other day for all of us that think the Georgia elections were rigged, they said seven out of the nine went Republican. Right. The two that went um, Democrat were only the ones that counted, which is the Senate. Right. Who cares about all the other stuff? Paul, can I can I ask you a question? Because you said you voted for him twice, and obviously right. the country elected him in 2016. W- right. w- was he more likable then? No. No, he was not nor- more likable. But think about, think about we ju- what we had just come out of. The guy was refreshing. There wasn't as much... Uh, there wasn't four years of just plain bitterness. And it, you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of the story that you just told about, um, oh, a person said they, that this woman was a biological woman. And mm-hmm. you, just, you just say, oh, my God, how can we continue on this one? Mm-hmm. Well, okay. for four years, that's frustration. Every time uh, Trump would do something good, he would still be chastised. Mm -hmm. So not only is he chastised for the good, but he's Mm -hmm. got all the rest of this baggage. Right. I mean, that's my opinion. And wait, Paul, that's what I wanted. I wanted your opinion. I appreciate it, sir. Thank you. Thank you for calling our show. So Paul says, look, I voted for him twice, but I can't listen to him anymore. And I think people find him a turnoff. And so Paul is agreeing with Chris Sununu that uh, they they can't run them. They can't win with them, Republicans, in 2024. Do you agree? Or do you disagree? Where has Chris Sununu gone wrong? I'm not taking a side. I'm not endorsing a candidate. I, I do think there is something to be said, though, about separating uh, aesthetics or likability from who will get it done. I notice our callers that that say they support Trump don't say I, I'm trying to comb my hair like him, or I I really um, I, I really admire uh, the way he talks. They will tell you if you listen to the callers that call in in support of Donald Trump, they will tell you they want to hire him. They want to hire him to do a job they're not sure anyone else can do. I'm not saying they're right, but that's the that's the way people who vote for him feel. That, it, that we're hiring, we've got a dirty job, and we're hiring the guy that we think can handle it. And 
you you can't be a nice guy. You can't be all smiles and chuckles and you know if you if you're if that's all you bring in this day and age. If the rhinos don't eat you alive, the media will eat you alive. The Democrats will eat you alive. The Congress will eat you alive. You you have to be. You have to have a tough shell. You have to have a hard exterior. You have to be able to dish it back out when it's when it's dished out to you. You got to dish it right back at them. I I will say, you know, that was something he did well. I I frankly think he picks fights with people he doesn't need to be fighting with, but people do that with me. You know, I you've probably noticed frequently people will call the show and they will go off on a word, a comma, an inflection, but you can tell by listening that they basically agree. And if they're listening, they're basically in agreement with, you know, most of what they hear, but but they just like to argue. And I've had to learn to just sort of let them have that because that's they need to do that. You know, and and I mean, Trump seems to be that way. You know, the other day when he when he said some nasty things about Kaylee McEnany, who was nothing but loyal, nothing but effective, nothing but but you know, um, always prepared and poised in his defense, explained him better often than he could explain himself. It, that's the kind of thing you wonder, like, what? Well, why? Why do that? Why make her your enemy of the day? Why make her your villain of the day? She's, she's not your enemy. So I, I, I can see Chris Sununu's point. If people are voting on aesthetics and likability, but he could be wrong if people decide, you know what, I don't like him, but I think, I think he can do this. Or he did it before, I think he can do it again. So Chris Sununu has all this advice for his party because he's not running. He also says, by the way, quote, We have to abandon issues that are made solely for social media headlines such as banning books or issuing curriculum fiats to local school districts hundreds of miles from state capitals. He wrote this in a, in a uh, column in the Washington Post. It's very interesting that Chris Sununu would be giving the Republican Party advice on CNN and in the Washington Post. Right? It's interesting. So he's saying we need to get away from the culture wars, because that alienates young voters and independent voters and suburban voters like like Paul was talking about. I, you know, I understand what he's trying to say. But I don't think you can let the left write or rewrite our history. If you do, then all the stuff you claim is important won't matter. You won't be able to do it. So if we just stick to the things that Chris Sununu thinks are important, but we have no say in how young people are educated, how civics are taught, how voters are prepared, guess what? You won't get them. So Republicans can't duck certain subjects because they're tetchy if it's going to come down to the preparation and the background of the of the electorate itself. I agree that you don't want to just run on abortion. You don't want to just run on uh, CRT or, 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 or whatever. You, you, you do have to have stuff to offer people who are not touched by those things. 
you know, if I'm a young dude and I'm voting and I don't, I'm not married and I don't have any kids and I can't imagine that I'll ever have kids, I don't care about what they're teaching in school. I should. I know I should, but I don't. And you know I don't. And that isn't going to get me to vote, and it isn't going to get me to vote for candidate X or candidate Y. But I might have a lot of concerns about you know, what I'm making or what taxes I'm paying or whether or not, um, you know, I'll have to go to Ukraine and fight a war. I might be interested in things selfishly, but those are the things I'm interested in. And I might not be paying attention to things that you and I believe are important because I haven't really, they haven't really touched me yet. I do think he has good advice on other stuff. You know, he says that the, the minor candidates need to get out early. Stop wasting time. Stop taking, stop taking up space on the debate stage and time on the debate stage. If you're at 1%, it's time to wrap it up. And I agree with that. By the way, if you are worried about Trump, the more people running, the better it is for him. Right? Like, the more, the more Republican, every time a new Republican gets into the race, Donald Trump's chances improve. Because he's so far ahead that he can win. He doesn't care if he wins it with 35% or 40% or 42% or 50%. That, that stuff's, I think, reasonable on the part of Sununu. But I don't know. The, the, the argument that they are sure to lose with him, I think is a little too pat, a little too simple. But what do you think? Yeah, I think Chris Sununu, um, what he says about Trump is debatable. And what he says about the culture war or cultural issues is also debatable. Uh, in his Washington Post article, which is a, it's a, <laughs> it's a major warning flag for me, if you're, if you're branding yourself a conservative Republican, which he does, and then you're saying, let me uh, take to the pages of the Washington Post to give you some advice. Uh, dude, do you want conservatives to read this? Because that's not where they are. But he says, um, we must abandon the issues that are solely made for social media, such as banning books or issuing curriculum fiats. Well, he should know better. No Republican governor anywhere is banning a book. The decision about whether a book should be in a school library or not is not a ban. If I wrote a book about being in radio... I wouldn't expect it to be in a school library. And if it wasn't, I wouldn't go around crowing that it had been banned. They'd have made a decision. They'd have, you know, exercised judgment. It's a judgment call. I might disagree with it. I might agree with it. Might not be a very good book. But, I mean, I that's not banning it. That's so silly. And as far as fiats about curriculum, who should give them? John, uh, you know, uh, who who should issue them, Governor Sununu? Are you saying that only Democrats should, only liberals should, only leftists should, only people with an ideological bent should? No, I'm going to get in on that. I have a take on that. I have an opinion on that. I have a stake in that. 
I think he's wrong about that. I also think it's a little bit wrong to start fencing off the, the culture war. The reason we got into the mess we're in right now is because we as conservatives didn't think we should bother with Hollywood. We shouldn't bother with music. We shouldn't bother with the movies. We shouldn't bother with television. We shouldn't bother with, we shouldn't bother with academia. We, we looked at a lot of places that we were not usually frequenting, and we thought, well, they'll be fine, and that's not my turf, or that's not my cup of tea. And now we've learned that those places have been in, infiltrated and completely pwned by radical leftists. So it turns out that it's not being shrewd or conserving your resources to stay out of those fights. The, the, all of those places matter. All of those things have to be contested. All of those things make up what we call civilization. I mean, I have definite ideas about what will happen if we teach something like American history from only one ideological perspective. And then the stuff you think does matter, conservatives like defense spending or foreign policy, guess what? You won't be able to, you won't be able to make a dent in those discussions. You won't even be involved or invited into those discussions. If the culture is trying to erase women... I think we need to be in on that. The culture is trying to erase babies, trying to erase parenting. I think we need to be in on that. I, I don't think anything else matters if those things don't matter. So it, it is a winnable fight, and it is a fight we need to be in. And uh, to be honest, if Chris Sununu really doesn't think those are worthwhile, then it's probably best he's not running for president or getting anywhere near the presidency. And again, I, I don't hate him or anything, but I think his ignorance and his naivete is staggering. The JR Poll is powered by River City Oral Surgery. Every day, all through our show, we have a question that you can vote on when you call in or on Facebook or at KTSA.com, and then we give you the results at the end of it. So it's like a little informal survey. Do you believe the theory that Millennials are shifting to the right. Nate Cohn in the New York Times making that argument, pulling in data, uh, saying essentially that a millennial-aged voter today is more likely to vote Republican in congressional and presidential races than a person of that same age would have been, say, 15 years ago. Do you agree? We split right down the middle on this. 50% agree, 50% disagree. New poll question tomorrow when we get started at 4. Uh, today is the 79th anniversary of D-Day, and we are honoring not only the 400,000-plus troops that made that landing and turned the tide of the greatest war in the 20th century, but we're honoring that generation. I think on, on these kinds of anniversaries, whether it's D-Day or Pearl Harbor, we, we reflect on the kind of people or the generation that produced the men of the beaches of Normandy. And I was thinking about this today, and I don't want to be oversimplifying it, but I, I, I kind of came up with two characteristics of that generation. My dad is of that generation, so I feel like I can say this. One thing that really marked the D-Day generation, if we can call them that, 
was their civics education. They were raised by parents and more importantly, I think, by a society to believe that they were part of something exceptional, to believe that it was a privilege not to be a particular race or ethnicity, but it was a privilege to be in this country, whether you were born here or brought here. Their civics education sets them apart, the D-Day generation. And here's the other thing, and it's a term that's, that historian Stephen Ambrose coined several years ago. The late Stephen Ambrose wrote, wrote a number of books about World War II. He's probably the preeminent historian of that war. One of his books, which is I, I highly recommend, is called Citizen Soldiers. And the term describes a kind of soldier that America brought to World War II that was very different from, say, a German soldier or a Japanese soldier. Because an American soldier was not from a warrior class. He was an independent, um, non-professional soldier. He might even have been skeptical or critical of the professional military, of authority. He was brought up to be a critical thinker. He was brought up to trust his gut and his instincts. And the whole history of the Normandy landing was improvisation. The plan fell apart. The, the, the victory that led to the end of the war was the improvisation and the enterprise of the American soldier. Only this society could have produced those men. And the qualities that produce those men are really important. And I just wanted to say that about D-Day. Finally, we got word today of the death of singer Astra Gilberto. She is the singer of the famous standard, The Girl from Ipanema, which she did with two other legendary musicians, uh, her husband, Brazilian musician uh, Joao Gilberto, and the jazz great Stan Getz. And I felt like we should leave tonight with a little bit of Astra Gilberto and the girl from Ipanema. Rest in peace at 83. <laughs>